Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. I'd like for us to look at our scripture today. It comes from the New Testament, the uh, book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 29 through chapter 12, verse 2. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. So this is a dense piece of scripture. And in just a few chapters and verses, the author of Hebrews is trying to recount for us an incredible history of faith. And it becomes important because in times of trial and tribulation and pain and suffering, which we all encounter... It can become all too easy to forget our faith. Now, for some of us, that sounds completely ridiculous. That's when we need our faith. But when the body is besieged, when the mind is overrun with cause for concern, when the heart is deeply depressed and in emotional exile, faith can feel so far away. And so our faith becomes so much more important for us to attend to in these times. This is not an easy time to be a Christian. I fear that the golden age of Christianity is behind us and that instead we're starting to see a more consistent persecution, not always in the same violence of the early Christians in the church, but instead there's a social violence that goes on with Christians nowadays. 
there's this insistence that you don't have to go to church. Well, I addressed that last week. And there's this belief that perhaps institutionalized religion has actually become the enemy that maybe we're better off on our own. Maybe spirituality is completely devoid of our religious practice. Well, I think that the Bible would disagree with that, and therefore God would too. But what is the point of our faith? Why bother having it? Sometimes it helps to go back and remember just what it is we have faith in. Well, in my house, I have a truth policy. I don't lie. And as much as my son is developmentally able to understand, I tell him the truth. So when he was two and his betta fish died, um, it was terrible the day we lost Jonah. It was deeply destructive to both of us. Um, he was floating kind of funny. And I looked at it, and you have that split second before you go, okay, now we can either lie about what's going on here or we can talk about it. And remember, he's two, and he's holding the jar of fish food. And I look up at him, and I look at the fish, and I said, uh-oh, Jonah's dead. And Luke says, well, what does that mean? And I said, it means that Jonah isn't alive anymore, and he's probably not going to be alive again. Uh, this is the end of Jonah. And he got very sad, as most of us do when we encounter death. And I said, you know, though, Jonah was a good fish. And maybe because of the time that you had with Jonah, there will come a day when we get another fish. And then you can love that fish and you can care for that fish. And he said, okay, all right. So we had laid a little groundwork in my household for death. Well, at about three, he started to pay more attention to Easter. I'm slightly involved in Easter activities. And so when Easter came along, we started talking about Jesus dying on the cross and then rising from the dead, being resurrected for us. And he said, well, what does that mean? Now, one of the implicit blessings of having children is that you have to figure out how to put your faith and your beliefs into quantifiable terms. You have to be able to explain that. They don't teach you how to do that at seminary. They don't teach you how to break that down for a three-year-old, and especially not on the spot, on the fly. And so I looked at him, and I said, well, it means that Jesus took the punishment for our sin. And when you break the rules of my house, or when you break the rules of the school that you go to, what happens? And he says, well, I go to timeout. And I said, exactly, there's a punishment, right? There's something that happens when you break the rules. I said, so when you break God's rules, we call that sin. And when you sin, there is a punishment for that. I said, but Jesus, who was God, come to us in human form, loved us so much that Jesus was willing to take our punishment. It would be like you doing something wrong, and then instead of you going to time out, Jesus did it for you. He liked that idea very much. <laughs> and I said, the idea here is that instead of you just continually racking up time out time for Jesus, instead, you work so that Jesus doesn't have to do that. Oh, he said. But just to think about that in adult terms, the idea that every time we do something that is against God's love, against God's call, 
every time we break one of God's commandments, which are all built around loving God and loving others, that there is a consequence. And somebody had to pay that bill. And I believe that most human beings don't have what it takes to pay that kind of bill. That honestly, very few of us were going to take the punishment for that. And so God, in this gracious and loving response to our sinfulness, decided, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take your bill and your bill and your bill and everyone's bill, and I'm going to pay it. I'm going to pay it myself. And so God came down to us, manifest in Christ Jesus, walked this earth, lived a life surrounded by sin and the pain and the evil that come from sin, and then of his own volition walked up to Golgotha and let them nail him to the cross. And so every Christian thereafter has had the opportunity to say, I believe that that was for me. I believe that the cross and the salvation that was made possible by Jesus' death upon it is enough for the incredible amounts of sin that I have brought in this world and that I will continue to bring into this world and that Ultimately, nothing can separate me from God's love because God has paid the bill. Now, I don't know if you grew up in a household much like mine, but there was a saying that always floated around. We lived right outside of D.C. Freedom isn't free. Or depending on if my mother had been around her family, freedom ain't free. And so the idea behind that was that the freedoms that we enjoy in the United States of America came at a very high cost, right? We even have a plaque over here commemorating those members of this church who have given of themselves to the fullest extent, making the highest sacrifice to defend this country, its people, its values, its laws, its liberty. And my parents were constantly saying that to me, that Memorial Day wasn't a holiday because freedom isn't free. And that we took time to go down to each of the memorials and the monuments and commemorate the great sacrifice of hundreds of thousands of Americans over the course of our time because freedom isn't free. Well, I believe that faith isn't free either. Someone paid an incredible cost for us. Someone who before we took our first breath loved us to the point that they were willing to die and suffer and then rise again so that we could be free. And now here we are, and when we don't pay homage to this, we cheapen that sacrifice. We take our faith and we make it like water. It's so plentiful. Who cares? It's not a big deal. I show up on Christmas, pay a little FaceTime on Easter, and God should be happy with that. And yet, God constantly grants us grace, constantly forgives us, and offers us the opportunity to be liberated from our sinful inclination. And what do we do with our faith in that? 
the cost was so high, the response should be abundant, that we as Christians now should respond much like those that were outlined in our scriptures. By faith, the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell, and they fell after the people walked around and played instruments for seven days. I can't imagine what the people of Jericho were thinking. These weird Israelites, they're at it again. It's day seven. You'd think they'd have had enough of this. It's clearly not working. But then, after following God's instruction for seven days, not laying a hand upon the walls, but instead playing the instruments of their faith and singing the praises of God, the walls crumbled an act of incredible faith. And by faith, Rahab, the prostitute who lived in the city, was saved. If you go back into Joshua, you'll read there that she has a conversation with the spies who came into the city, and she says that the mighty tasks and deeds of your God have reached us here. We know that you passed through the Red Sea, we know that God has gone before you and defeated the Egyptians by plagues. We know that you are with God. And because of their presence and their testimony, she believed. And she was saved by that faith. And there are so many, so many people throughout Scripture who had faith. They weren't perfect. This list is hardly a list of absolutely awesome people. Gideon had his issues. Barak constantly questioned the judge Deborah on whether or not this was going to work. He refused to go without her to war. Samson, do we really have to break that down? Jephthah actually made a pledge to God that if you let me win this battle, I will sacrifice the first thing I see when I go home. He walks into the courtyard of his home and his daughter comes out dancing. And he sacrifices her because that was the vow he made. David slays a giant, then commits adultery and murders her husband. And Samuel, who struggled constantly with God's people, these are not perfect people. If anything, they are people just like you and I. And yet, by faith, we know of them. By faith, they were saved. By faith, they could save other people. Our faith is power. I'll tell you, I read the news constantly. I watch it. I'm paying attention to it online. It's hard to miss it on social media anymore. But nothing made my blood run cold like the events in Normandy. When people walked into a church, held that congregation hostage, and killed the officiating priest. We live in a world where people now hate us for our faith. A faith that tries to care for children, a faith that feeds the hungry and gives the thirsty something to drink. Why would they hate this? Why would you hate 
what we're trying to do? And the answer is because sometimes we get it right and sometimes we're still getting it very wrong. Sometimes we still cause pain and suffering and people go, is this your faith? And the answer should be no, this is not who we're supposed to be. We have sinned. We have fallen short. We have done things that are inexcusable. And we are trying to be better day by day. If we don't keep our faith central in our lives and prime in our beings, then we have cheapened the most precious and costly death of all time. I don't want to stand before my maker on the day of resurrection and say, well, I only valued it at a quarter of what it was worth. I want to be able to stand before my Lord and my Savior and say, I messed up. There were so many times where I did you wrong, where I slandered you by carrying your name. And yet, by God, you have loved me. By God, you have saved me. And every now and then, I got something right. Because of you and your faith in me, I can do something better than I did before. You are the living, breathing body of Christ. And when our worship is over and you flood back out into the world and go back to your lives, God is watching to see where your faith is. It's not in bludgeoning somebody with Scripture. It's not in condemning somebody for going to a different church or no church. Instead, it's about making sacrifices so that you can serve and use the wisdom that God has granted to us in the faith that Christ has imparted by his suffering, death, and resurrection and make this world a little better. Because the suffering is so tangible, it is so close, and it is painful to even know about it. It comes at a cost. Let no one tell you that there's no cost for being a Christian anymore. My life with my family drastically changed as I started to pursue my path to ministry. My mother's family in Chesapeake always had a huge tradition of Christmas Eve. I'm a little busy on Christmas Eve nowadays. So I don't get to go to dinner and I don't get to partake in the gifts. And neither does my family, because my husband and my child are with me. And you might think, okay, well, surely they can understand that, you know, you're doing worship services. But no. I have been ostracized for this. There have been times where it was clear that everybody else got invited to things and I didn't. But that's okay. It's okay. Because ultimately, this is where I belong. And this is where God is making incredible things happen. And I will give up any dinner to feast at the Lord's table. I will give up every relationship 
if it means that I serve God more fully. My faith is not only in the words that I say and the authority that I bear, it is in the way I live my life. And I live my life this way because the presence of God was manifest in people who taught me through the way they lived their life. People are watching. They want to see your faith. May it become so central that you are a burning light in a world of darkness and sin. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. Let our faith be made manifest in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org to learn about ways you connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.